So, if you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I, I think if you need to know anything about joy in the midst of suffering, 1 Peter is your book. That's the major theme of this book. But the topic of suffering isn't actually even mentioned until verse 6. Before Peter ever mentions suffering, he first talks about hope. Because hope is the only way to have joy in suffering. And the hope that Peter talks about is a living hope. That right now, because you have been born again, you are anticipating some really great thing that you know for sure is going to happen. And that's what carries us through the suffering. If we don't have hope, suffering can overwhelm us. And we can fail at every point of our Christian walk. We'll fail at obedience. We'll fail at faithfulness. We'll fail at joy. We'll fail at perseverance. And we will be absolutely manhandled and destroyed by suffering. So before saying anything about suffering... Peter pushes our attention forward in time to this glorious inheritance that's laid up for us in heaven. And when God describes it as an inheritance, the purpose of that metaphor is to emphasize the fact that it belongs to you. The fact that it's kept in heaven means that the inheritance isn't just upon your arrival in heaven we shouldn't think of our final salvation of just getting to heaven. We are saved now for a glorious purpose. But there's something that is kept there for you. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you were saved from the penalty of sin because you were justified. You were declared righteous. You weren't made righteous. You were declared righteous. Your sins were placed upon Christ and His righteousness was placed upon you. You were saved from the penalty of sin at conversion. Presently, you are being saved from the power of sin. It no longer has dominion over you. And the final phase of your conversion is that you will be saved from the presence of sin. It will no longer exist in the heavenly realm you will then be delivered fully, finally, and completely from all decay, all sickness, all trouble, all conflict, all pain, suffering, guilt, grief, sorrow, all anxiety and tears and discipline and hatred and disappointments, misunderstanding, weakness, failure, ignorance, confusion, imperfection, and the list goes on and on. I'm thinking about Vicki losing her father this past week and how there's that grief and the sorrow. And one day, there will be none of that. None. But you see, the only way for us to understand Perfection is from the standpoint of our experience. And we see that we have to use negatives to speak of this perfection. But we will enter into this ex uh, eternal experience of pure joy, pure peace, and pure holiness. It's this salvation that's the final form and it's ready to be revealed in the last day. This is the time where we will leave here to meet Jesus face to face. Or if He comes to take us with Him ahead of that, that'll be a time when death is swallowed up in eternal victory when we enter into our everlasting inheritance.
In reality, it's of little consequence how much you have in this life or how much you don't have. It doesn't matter how well you are or how sick you are, how fulfilled you are, or how, humanly speaking, unfulfilled you are. How many successes you've had or how many failures you've had. How many fulfillments or how many disappointments. It all matters very little because you came into this world with nothing and you'll leave this world with nothing. I've never seen a trailer hitch on a hearse. I've never seen them pull a U-Haul. And so here we are as pilgrims in the desert. And God is the source of hope for this promised land. And Jesus Christ is the substance of that hope. But we have to understand there is a stability for our hope. And that's what Peter talks about. And so I invite you to turn to our text in 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll look at verses 4 and 5 this morning, but I would like to start in verse 3 in order to get the full context. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, there's one thing that I think a lot of people really don't care to do, is, and that's read legal documents. I've often wondered why attorneys can't write in plain English, but I think it's for job security. I think they write in such a way so that nobody else can understand And I think when you're listening to someone read a legal document, it's probably the ultimate of boring activity. But there's one legal document that we tend to hang on every word, and that's the reading of a last will and testament. Especially when you know that you will be named as one of the heirs of an inheritance. The Apostle Peter says that our salvation is an inheritance kept for us in heaven. Christ Himself is is our inheritance. But it also includes all that He provided and will provide for those whom He has purchased with His own blood. It's so vast and so indescribable. The only way that Peter can describe it is by telling us some of the things that it is not. It's incorruptible. It's not defiled. And it's not fading. But you see, there are aspects of, of who God is that we don't understand yet, and some of them that we never will. People think we will know God completely. There's no way that you can know an eternal God completely. But we will know Him as much as we are able when we get to heaven and we will see that there is is enough to keep our minds set upon Him and just glory and revel in His glory and majesty. And so, on this earth, we have enough evidence to exercise genuine faith in what we know about God by His revealed Word. Our doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture does not demand that God answer every question that we might have in this life. 
in part because we're not capable of understanding that that much truth this side of heaven we're significantly limited in our ability to handle it our ability to understand truth this side of heaven is limited both by nature of humanity but also the effects of the fall that's why paul said in 1 corinthians 13:12 that for now we see in a mirror dimly. That's the best we have. And so we see in this mirror dimly. John in 1 John 3, 2 said, Beloved, we are, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as of yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. You see, there's a sense in which these concepts of divine sovereignty and human responsibility are standing in the middle of a railroad tracks. And as we look down, we see these tracks and they seem to be wide apart and we think, do they ever meet? But if we look in the distance, in the horizon, it appears that those tracks do come together. And that's the way that we can look at the theological tension that is there with these seemingly incompatible truths that ultimately this side of heaven can only be stood fully by our all-wise God. But instead of ignoring one side or the other, we choose to let Scripture be Scripture. Isn't that what we want to do? We want Scripture to be Scripture and believe all that He declares in His Word about every topic? You know, another way to look at some of this is to think about a person coming to Christ and we can look at it in two ways. We can look at it at man's perspective, and then we can look at, at it from God's perspective. It's like a man walking through a door, and over the door as he's walking through, it says, whoever will may come. And so we walk through that door, and as we get through that door, we look back at the door and then we see it from God's perspective. And it says, chosen before the foundation of the world. The same doorway from two different perspectives. And so we learn to love and trust and prefer a God whom is we are incapable of fully understanding in this life. You see, Peter wants you to walk away this morning being encouraged at how long God has loved you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and let that impact you in the way that you suffer, instead of asking all sorts of questions about, God, what about this? God, what about that? You rest upon Him being in charge. You rest upon what Scripture says. And you go, that's good enough for me. Because when we look at Scripture, I could go ahead and preach on this same text over and over and over because I can't even scratch the depth of this with one sermon. And let me tell you, there's a lot of times when I start writing and I go, oh my goodness, my word counts is way too far. These people will be there way past midnight. So I, I, have to, I have to pare it down because I know you folks will get hungry, but you know, I, wouldn't, I, I don't think I would be tired. I would just keep going. But we, we want to always ask, why is it that some people seem to suffer and other people seem to prosper? We seem to get hung up on that. But we must remember that each of us who are believers, we were saved. We are members of 
of Christ's family. And in verse 3, Peter says that we were born again to a living hope and that we are moving toward the end days. And so we need to learn how to walk each day with God, knowing that we can personally trust Him and we can trust Him completely. Life is hard and sometimes this world is bleak. And you know why? I, I mean, how many times do you just think, I don't know how I'm going to handle this day and a brother and si- or a sister comes to you and encourages you and they encourage you with Scripture and all of a sudden it doesn't look so bleak. How many times does that happen? That's why we need the body of Christ. We need to be in the Word. Not only for ourselves, but for others. We need to encourage ourselves, but we need to be in the Word so that when we are are right there where someone calls out for us, that we can sit there and we can go, I can give them what I just learned today. My greatest encouragement starts early in the morning. 3.30 to be exact. When I get up, and I get ready, and I go down, and I start working on my sermon... And people go, don't you get tired getting up at 3.30 every... No! I don't. I don't. Because it's refreshing. That's where I find my greatest joy. That's where I get recharged and renewed by God's Word by studying for what I'm preaching this morning. I spend time in study. Because this authenticating, verifying, faith-building record that God has left us helps me get through. And so when you look at verse 4 of our text, this is where hope truly lies. After all the events and the sadness and joys of this life have come and gone, and when we come to the end of this life, the greatness of the plan of God is only beginning. And so we need to reach forward and bring the greatness of this future plan into the present day and let that inform us on the way we think about our lives. God caused you to be born again for a purpose. And that purpose is expressed in verse 4 of our text. It is to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. And where is this inheritance found? It says it's reserved in heaven for you. It's still to come. It's still in the future. The reality of salvation is that God has appointed for you if you are at are in Jesus Christ, God has appointed for you to enter into a heavenly glory where Christ will be seen face to face. You see, heaven is where sin will be utterly eradicated from your experience and you will be with Christ and you will be with God and you will be with all the redeemed from all the ages. And there will be a perfect environment of utter joy and bliss. Rejoicing in the finality of salvation that God has brought to you. That is the ultimate purpose of your salvation. And how long will this last? How long is eternity going to last? That's a trick question, by the way. Eternity is going to last forever. And God is an eternal God reigning over all. He determined the course of the universe before the time began and is working out a plan in time right now. And one day it will culminate in eternity. 
I think so often we sing songs and we don't think about what we sing, but if we sing Amazing Grace, it says, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we know less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You see, in eternity, days don't tick away. There's not some heavenly calendar. They are done. Right now, our days are temporary, momentary, and brief. But in heaven, they're perpetually going on. And not only are they perpetually going on, but Peter says three things about those days. This is an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, undefiled, and will not fade away. Think about it. Think about it from that context. Endless eternity where time ceases to be. That's the ultimate goal of salvation. That it would be the ultimate consummation of God's plan. Why would God trivialize it if this was the main point? These 30, 40, 50, 70, 80 years that we live here on earth. It's not the main point. Peter says God saved you to obtain this heavenly reward that is endless. And this should put life into perspective for you. First of all, we need to understand that it is an inheritance. The, the Greek word is kleranoimai. And I think you already know what the word means. It's something that's passed down to you from someone else. It's where their possessions become your possessions as a gift. And normally it's a legacy given to you because you are uh, of a certain family. It's not something you earn. It's not something you buy. Generally it's received as a gift because you are born into the family. Just as with everything else, there are outliers. There are some times where inheritances are by random choosing. Maybe you did something for someone and they remember you in their will. But we need to remember the people of Israel were given the promised land as an inheritance. They didn't deserve it. As a matter of fact, Abraham was a pagan in Ur. The Jews were slaves in in Egypt. But God brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea to the land of Canaan. And this is a picture of our inheritance. We didn't deserve it. We were slaves to sin. But God one day will bring us through this sea of death to our eternal promised land. And so remember, as we're going through these trials, we need to be living not for earthly satisfaction, but heavenly satisfaction. If you please turn to Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 4, Paul makes this application. Colossians chapter 3. Starting with verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That puts it into perspective, doesn't it? If you are risen with Christ, 
You look past your earthly troubles into your eternal treasure. This inheritance is the very kingdom of God with all its glories and riches and joys and happiness and eternal life. Believers are heirs of God. Our Lord Jesus is the tester. In other words, He is the person who died leaving us a valid will. It is His will and testament. He died on the cross and made us heirs of God. And you know what is great about this? It will never be contested. That will and testament will never ever be contested because He ever lives to make sure that he, that what He left His people they will receive. That's what it says in verse 4. It says that this here, this inheritance is incorruptible. The Greek word is aftartos. And it means that our salvation is free from death and decay. Any human inheritance is subject to both death and decay. For one thing, I may die before I obtain it. Or I, I might not be able to enjoy it fully. I could be an heir to billions, but it won't be do me any good if I die before I'm able to spend it. I often think about these people that get millions or billions of dollars of inheritance. What, are they, what good does it do them? They don't spend it. They pass it on to the next generation and the next generation. But yet, that's what they, they look for. And even if I manage to get it, it's still subject to moth and rust and thieves, as Jesus pointed out. And it can easily be lost. But our heavenly inheritance is imperishable. It can't be destroyed. Nothing or no one can destroy it. In other words, when you get to heaven, things aren't going to decay. Things aren't going to rust. Things aren't going to dissolve like the things we're used to happening in this life. Here on earth, as we work to get a little farther on in life, we soon realize that in the end, gravity wins. Not so in heaven. It's imperishable and the perfection of God that He gives you from the start. It continues. It doesn't diminish. Not one bit. It's not going to rot, rust, diminish, or decay. And the biggest thing that we're used to in this world, it's perishing. We live in a world where everything crumbles. Everything eventually wears out, breaks down, rusts. Decays, gets corrupted. It doesn't matter what it's made out of. It could be made out of steel. It could be made out of gold or granite. But eventually it will rust and decay. It happens to governments, civilizations, cultures, philosophies, ideas. It happens to musical styles. It happens really quick to computer programs. Organizations, relationships. Everything in this world moves toward ruin in some way. So the only way that God can communicate this is in the negative. It's not like everything that we're used to. Everything that disappoints you, frustrates you, leaves you unfulfilled in this life, none of that will be a problem in your salvation because it's imperishable. Then Peter goes on to say that this is also undefiled. The, the Greek word is ameniatos. And it means to be free from moral impurity, any uncleanness of any kind. Earthly inheritances can be tainted. They can actually taint the person receiving it. Many people who have received an inheritance who were nice and kind, get greedy and harsh. Families of wealth, wealthy men or women who have died have often gotten into quarrels as they fight over 
the inheritance. Sometimes it splits families. Sometimes it's, it's where people just think, I need this or else, and what they want is greater than, than the relationships that they have. Happens many times. And in some way, you see when someone passes, what goes through the mind? And you hate to admit it. You, you just hate to admit. You go, oh, you know what? I wonder what's going to happen to this. I wonder who gets this. We don't want to, want to admit that, but it happens to all of us. No matter how much we love that person, we think about some of the things they have and who's going to get it. It's amazing. But our heavenly inheritance isn't that way. I can't take anything from your inheritance and you can't take anything from mine. It's morally pure. All the corruption that we live with in this environment, it's all going to be gone. All the rot of Hollywood, all the rot of media, all of the foul people that pollute our minds, corrupt our hearts, defile us. It'll be gone. But you know what? It's here now. If you're living and breathing, it's here. And you hear all this about, you know, oh, we have to bind Satan. Satan's the problem. Actually, you hear about people saying, yeah, we bound Satan. What did you do? Let him go? Maybe it was our turn. Maybe we should have. If he was bound and all of his, his minions were taken out, we still have sin. We can sit there and say, the devil made me do it. Sort of like Flip Wilson used to say. I don't know. Remember Flip. But you know what? Even if Satan, the tempter, was taken out of the picture, this world would still be full of sin because it's within us. If you And just to, to go on this point, why don't you please turn to Romans chapter 7 and verses 21 through 25 because the Apostle Paul t- talks about the sin that's present within us. This sin that's prevalent even if Satan were to have been bound. Romans chapter 7, and we'll start with verse 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You see, everything that defiles this life is going to be absent in heaven. I don't think there's any way for us to really grasp that. But to understand that it will be far better than anything we can possibly imagine here on earth. It will be a pure environment with the loftiest and highest themes. The worship of God and the adoration of Christ will revolve around the glorious worship of our, of our glorious King. Unlike an earthly inheritance, there will never be a situation of moral compromise. Earthly treasures can be defiled in so many ways. Three ways that earthly inheritance can be defiled is that we sin to get them. We sin to get them. And then we sin to keep them. 
And then many times we sin while we're enjoying them. But that won't be an issue with our eternal inheritance. We won't be able to spoil it by obtaining it in questionable ways or with wrong motives. We won't be able to ruin it by being greedy with it or holding on to it in some sinful way. And best of all, we'll be able to enjoy it and indulge in it and it won't be sinful. It just blows my mind. We'll be able to enjoy all this to the fullest. We won't be turning it into an idol, overemphasizing a portion of it and getting it out of balance. We won't even be able to use it in an unloving way. We won't be able to be distracted from God by it. None of that will be possible in heaven. All our enjoyment of it will be pure and holy and God-honoring because it's undefiled. And not only that, Peter says it will not fade away. This fading away, you know what? When you uh, often, you know, Vicky will get flowers, I'll give her flowers and, and we'll put them in a vase and we'll put them on the table and man, are they just beautiful. And as you look at them, you think, these were so wonderfully put together that about a week later you go, oh man, these things are just really pathetic. They lose their beauty. They lose their loveliness. Unfading is the opposite of that. The, the Greek word is amarentos. Amarentos. And it, it, it actually is a perpetual nature. It's, it's like the perennial that keeps popping up. It's the inheritance will never fade away in beauty. It will never fade away in desirability. You see, everything in existence now gets old. You could stand at the rim of the, of the Grand Canyon and be in absolute awe of what you're seeing. And you could actually go, you know what, I'm going to camp here. And after a while, you wake up, you have your morning coffee, and you go, yeah, it's Grand Canyon. Get old and you go home. You see, even the most exciting things in this world get old and boring. The greatest food. I remember, you know, we get, we get food sometimes from Costco, and, and you, know, you have one bag or one, one thing of it, and you go, man, was that good. So what do you do? You go back and you get 10 more bags. Of course. And after about the fifth bag, you go, my goodness, I don't know why I got five extra bags of this. It just is no good anymore. Nothing in all of creation can possibly satisfy us for all eternity. Given enough time, even the most wonderful things in life lose their beauty, lose their desirability. <clears throat> Everything fades. Everything goes downhill. And that's really the law of entropy, or the second law of thermodynamics, which says that everything is in a state of decay and degeneration. Everything is in the state of collapse and getting worse. <clears throat> but our eternal inheritance is not like that. That joy and happiness that we feel when we first get the inheritance, it will increase. It will get better and better instead of decreasing. That's really to say that this inheritance is death-proof. It's sin-proof. It's time-proof. It's out of reach of the curse. It's out of reach of sin. And it's out of reach of time. Nothing can happen to it. 
Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 12, 33 and 34, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not defile or does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You see, worldly treasures are subject to decay. Even that $400 million that I talked about last week, it's a dying hope. You think about it, there's a lot of millionaires that commit suicide. They're unhappy. You can see that there's so many people, once they get what they think they want, they no longer see anything to live for. Our inheritance is, is a living hope. It's something to always have our mindset on. It doesn't deliver a promise it can't keep. It, 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 it's, it's not a dying hope. It's a living hope. And it's something that so many people don't understand, especially when you talk to people, they go, I don't get what the big deal about heaven is. Who wants to sit on a cloud and play a harp? <laughs> they got a wrong wrong thought about, about what heaven is. It's not what we're going to do in relationship to boring or not boring. It's in relationship to being with God. The Creator. We'll see the glory. That's why we need to understand the biblical doctrine that's taught about heaven and what's in store for us. We need to understand the biblical doctrine that this will never become old. It will never become boring. It will not fade away. And it's not going to be, be declining in any sense. It will never disappoint. Heaven is going to be high and lofty and great and joyous and blissful and wonderful and it's never going to stop. It's never, ever, ever, ever going to stop. It's never going to fade away. It will always be great and glorious for us. But it's only for those who love Christ. And when you talk to people so often, they don't understand it because they don't have their mind set above. They have their mind set here. And they don't know the wonderful purpose of salvation. God's great plan for you is that you would share in, in glorying over Christ that you would forever be grateful to the one who saved your soul from impending wrath. And you know what? Christ's resurrection tells us that it is sure. And if you look at the end of verse 4 and into verse 5, it tells you how it is that it's not going to fade away and why. It says that it is reserved for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The, the Greek word for reservation is the word tereo, and it means to attend carefully, to take care of, to guard. You see, it's not accidental. You don't, you don't sit there and make a, a hotel res, reservation and then you're, oh, oh, you mean you have my name written down? What a surprise. No, you make a reservation. It's there. So you're not surprised. You go, it's reserved. It's, it's not incidental or accidental. It's not just a chance happening. There are some that are chance happenings. 
There are some people who do get inheritances, like the good fortune of Jack Worm. In 1949, he was flat broke and unemployed. One day he was walking along a San Francisco beach and he came across a bottle with a piece of paper in it. As he read the note, he discovered that it was the last will and testament of Daisy Singer Alexander. She was heir to the Singer sewing machine fortune. The note read, To avoid confusion, I leave my entire estate to the lucky person who finds this bottle and to my attorney, Barry Cohen, share and share alike. The court eventually accepted the claim that the heiress had written the note 12 years earlier and threw the bottle into the Thames River in London. And from there it drifted across the ocean to the feet of penniless and jobless Jack Worm. His chance discovery netted him $6 million in cash and Singer stock. Let me tell you one thing. Your inheritance, on the other hand, is not by chance. And of course, we don't believe in chance. We believe in God's sovereignty, so there's not a chance of anything. But it's purposely reserved for you. Not only that, it's not something that you go, man, I hope I hope when I get to heaven, it's there. I hope when I get to heaven that, you know, I, I knock on the door and they go, oh yeah, you know, we have a reservation. No, it is kept by the power of God through faith, it says. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are kept by the power of God. Kept is derived from the the Greek word phreo, which means to guard, to protect by military guard, to keep by watching. And you know what's really interesting about this? The tense of the verb indicates it's a constant guarding. Our life is constantly garrisoned by God and He stands as a sentinel over us all the days of our life. Our salvation is under God's constant care and protection. And you know how we get it? Through faith. I am so glad that Peter adds the words through faith. Because it means that we cannot lose our salvation. If a person could lose their salvation, it would be by works which would make salvation a matter of works, not faith. The obtaining of this protection is not by works, but by faith in which we receive through the person of Jesus Christ as our Savior. If any person could lose their salvation, that would rob God of His glory. God is so certain that we will be in heaven, He has already given us His glory as assurance. And as we read in our our Scripture reading, the, the Holy Spirit is our assurance to that. And it says that complete reward and blessing will re, be revealed on the last day. And that's, just, that's only to say the judgment day of Christ. What was fully started will be fully disclosed when Christ returns. You know, so many of us are really insignificant here on earth. But in eternity, we will be revealed as one of God's family members. What a contrast. What a contrast. The people who seemingly are not all that great here on earth, who don't have power, who don't have fortunes, are children of the King. So many of these people that don't have Christ, they strut around in their own glory. 
But for us as believers, we have a glorious vindication coming in the last days when God will declare us children. We are eternally secure in Christ. So many people think that you have to maintain good works in order to remain headed to heaven. It doesn't make any sense. If a person is saved by faith in Christ, but can sin their way out of God's grace, then Christians would continually live uncertain lives about their salvation. And then what Peter wrote for an encouragement would either be a lie or so discouraging. Peter is writing this so that we are encouraged in this life. I think it's sad how many people profess Christ today and don't believe that their salvation is secure in heaven. I just want to encourage every single believer within the sound of my voice, your salvation is constantly guarded by God himself and will be revealed when Christ returns. And we need to give thanks to God for this and we need to celebrate and praise him for that. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's so amazing that you give us unworthy sinners an inheritance that will not fade or pass away. I pray that we would understand the eternal security that we have in Christ. Help us to realize who we are in Christ and therefore who we are in eternity. Lord, I ask that your word would go forth from our mouths that we would take that message to a dying world, that we would not change your world just to suit our goals, but we would preach the word as you have given it to suit your goal, that is to save sinners. Thank you for the privilege that we have in order to take your word to the lost and dying world. And Lord, we ask that you don't add people to Providence Bible Church just to fill chairs, but in order to further your kingdom, Lord, we humbly come to you and give you all the glory for every success that we would possibly see here at this church. We thank you and praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it's in his most precious name that we pray. Amen.